0: Welcome to Lease FM. Today I'm joined by the great white mystery from Chicago. Um, born and raised, right? Yes. Um, Francis and Alex, thank you so much for joining me. I'm like Hi, super, how you doing? super loving that. Um, I'm great. Thank you. Uh,
1: <laughs> how about all you out there in podcast land? How are yeah, you all doing?
2: Hope you're doing you. well.
0: They're cheers. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> ah. So... Thank you so much for stopping in. Um, we met a couple months ago now. Uh, you guys were on Rick Cogan's show, and I was just kind of like, I remember seeing you play at the hideout whenever that was at the block party, um, and really digging it, and so it was like, oh cool, I can actually have these guys on my podcast, so thank you. Um, let's get, let's start about, let's start talking about like your just birthday. We were mm-hmm. talking about it off air just a second ago, but April 20th, What what happened on that day?
3: That was so Francis and I, you know, grew up playing music together informally, yeah, in, in the basement. We grew up in West Rogers Park in our parents' basement, Francis on drums, me on guitar, played for many years and also played in separate projects, right? So Francis played drums in a band called The Nuke Mutes. I had already been touring Europe with my band when I was in college, et cetera, et cetera. And we were in a couple, you know, we were in trash and heat together. We played a couple shows at subterranean. Francis was still seventeen. Um, Then we, you know, when the laptop kind of came out. Yeah. (laughs) And GarageBand is really like a a piece of software that changed musicians' lives, especially in tandem with MySpace. So Francis and I started, you know, recording songs during the day and then posting them on the internet at night. Like, wow, this is really revolutionizing the way. Because you could record on a four track, but you'd have to mix it and all this stuff. So anyway, one day I'm walking down the street. And I see the flicker of a silver Airheads candy wrapper. And I bend down and I look at it. And it says, white mystery out of control. And it was like my eureka moment where I called Fran and I was like, Fran, we got to start a band, dude. And we need to call it White Mystery because our last name's White.
1: And we shared a- Airheads as a favorite candy for a long time. They would sell it at record stores. Lori's Planet of Sound, which is in Lincoln Square neighborhood, independent record store. Mm-hmm. They would sell Airheads of multiple flavors for five cents and Nickel. You could, Back in the days where you would have to get a transfer on the bus, sorry to pop that one, but uh, you could either walk from the Brown Line station home and save 15 cents and spend it at the record store, get three airheads, and check out some canvas patches and records and posters, and then walk home eating your candy, and Alex and I always loved the white mystery airhead. It was such a good flavor. No,
0: I was going to say that's definitely my favorite flavor.
3: But that day just clicked, where it was like, whoa, this is our destiny. So we, uh, we toyed with the band name Indigenous Nudity, and our dad was like, that'll never catch on. <laughs> Too many <laughs> syllables. <laughs> so we, you know, we start our MySpace for the band, and, uh, and then when we, upon reflection, saw, whoa, we started our band on 420.
1: But an, another really important part of the band that we don't really comment on often, but we'll give you this little nugget, was immediately after starting the band, wrote a couple songs, we recorded a 7-inch Mm-hmm. with our friend Zach Medeiros at the Carroll Street Practice Spaces. And uh, we were waiting for a 7-inch to come out mm-hmm. uh, on Hozak Hookup Club. Our friend Hozak, Tom, uh, Tom Novak, Tom runs Hozak uh-huh. Records. And he was putting out a 7-inch. It was going to be my first ever vinyl yeah. of a release song. So I was really excited about it. Alex had already had releases come out. But before the vinyl came out, we went on a vacation to our grandparents' house in Arizona it was Surprise or Prescott. Yeah, they lived in Surprise, Arizona. Was it Surprise
4: or oh. Prescott? <laughs> <I forget laughs> they were Surprise one. at the time. That's no, actually, well, they out, lived
3: half and half in Surprise and Prescott.
1: kind of in the middle of nowhere in Arizona. Yeah. And we decided to go see some family out there, and one night we were in the guest bedroom in the middle of the desert, and we just couldn't sleep. We were in our two separate guest beds just talking to each other in this pitch black room staring up at the drop ceiling and just imagining the same things we're feeling that feeling where it's like you're connected with somebody and you can see their thought process and they're visualizing the same exact thing as you and we're just talking for hours and hours and hours about our band what we wanted to do what we what we wanted to accomplish how we wanted to accomplish it the avenues that we were going to take to you know get what we want and what we're innately compelled to do which is create music together and we had this long long talk That was pretty integral to the formulation foundation of Mm -hmm. our band, which was uh, shortly after April 20th. And that, in my opinion, was where the identity of White Mystery is very much formed.
2: Yeah. And how old
0: were you then? So uh, I was
1: 20. Yeah, you were 20. I wasn't 21 yet.
3: And I was 22. So we're two years apart. Wow. Yeah. And you just had
0: like this whole, like, you'd both had the shared vision thing Mm -hmm. where we're
3: crazy we're you know it's like your grandparents guest room with the two twin beds oh yeah and you know it was pitch black and we were just we could see the same thing and i think it's a little bit of like the sibling twinling telepathic kind of thing which we ended up our third album was called telepathic just because it's sort of an important part of how we're able to create and anticipate each other and have a shared vision, so we were able. People are like, "How do you make a feature-length film for five thousand dollars?" You know, most most independent films require a quarter of a million or half a million dollars to produce these days. But we were able to make that was awesome for five grand.
1: We tried to get a grant from the city of Chicago, and they asked us what our budget was. And Alex, you said like f- nine million or nine thousand?
3: No, I said that ideally I would like ten thousand dollars total to make this. And they asking
1: re- the grant for the city of Chicago, and there's like you can't get this grant there's no way you can make a movie for $10,000 it's like yeah well we did it for half (laughs) because we didn't get the grant Yeah, thanks a lot
3: but we're able to accomplish these things because we have such a clear vision that we share that we can kind of you know visualize the the course
0: to get to it and to accomplish it so and that's not something you can just make up like that vision like you can't just kind of like people have it or they don't right so it's crazy that you both have it and it's the same one yeah but, like, but
3: we're in different you know we're different in a lot of ways totally. different and
1: personality a, types different motivations uh, pretty similar morals but we still right. differ in many different For ways and sure. how we would execute what we want to and, do
3: and I think that'll come out in our influences yes. which we talked to you
1: mm-hmm.
0: about today yeah awesome uh, let's get started with that who who wants to go first with their Francis. two okay sounds okay. good go ahead so number My one.
1: First influence is uh by a man named Jesus Gigi Allen. I uh, thought
2: you were gonna say <laughs> Jesus Christ.
1: <laughs> no, his name was Jesus Allen, but he came to be known as Gigi Allen. He was a he was a punk rock man. Um, had a really rough upbringing. was abused a lot as a boy. I believe he and his brother were like abusing each other also they he basically got raised in a cabin by an abusive father started a band called the jabbers i don't really have exactly all the facts i should look up as wikipedia right now as i'm talking to you but um he became a, a legendary fixture, an icon in the punk rock community for being the most balls out Aggressive, unsafe, inhumane, unsanitary shock rocker to ever grace rock and roll. Or to punk this rock. day, to this day, nobody has come anywhere close to just how disgusting he was. He yeah, would um, defecate on stage. Yes. Yep. Cut himself.
3: Defecate. Just
1: uh, I. That was the first thing I said. Was he would defecate on stage? Mm-hmm. He would just jump out in the crowd, smear you with shit, and break your jaw sort of like eighties unsafe level where it's like you were going to a punk rock show and you knew it was in an abandoned warehouse in the part of town where all the gangbangers hung out and you're probably gonna get mugged either on the way in or the way out of the show. Yeah. But you wanted to go, something told you, someone or something hooked you into this punk rock scene back in you know, the eighties, the seventies and eighties where you didn't have access to the internet the only taste you had to go off was your older siblings or some of the weirdos at high school that most people told you not to hang out with yeah. in the first place. And it would lead you to this place that I like, and I'm just trying to imagine what it would be like to be at a GGL and show and the decisions you had to make in your life just to end up there. Right. And then you end up there, and the music is, from all the live footage I've seen, just unintelligible and it is just like a bunch of scared humans, just sort of like instinct base level behavior coming out because everyone is just so afraid to be there. And then this just naked man with the micro penis just like trying to hurt you <laughs> while doing, you know, his punk rock act. And yeah. it just seems like such a different space and time and history that a part of me just wonders whether or not it was real. Right. At this point, just there because now there is a yeah, there's a movie called Hated.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah.
1: Which I saw when I was in high school. My friend Big John, who's the straight edge at the time, like 350 pound punk rocker, who was amazing at dance dance revolution. He was like, you have to watch this movie. It's called Hated. <laughs> and he showed it to me. And it's like, wow, his pee pee's really small, and it scares me. <laughs> Why is he covered in (laughs) poo-poo and cutting himself? But then you listen to The Jabbers, which is his, like, original band. I'm pretty sure one of the first ones he was in, it was Gigi and The Jabbers. And it was so catchy. His recorded music was, like, incredible sounding where there's this 80s image of him, but there was also a 70s version where he's making really catchy, almost Mm pop-punk songs. I was like, oh, this album's so good. How did he turn into this maniac that ended up, like... He tried to kill himself on stage, and never really got around to it. Some people say he wimped out and he overdosed on heroin immediately after the show he was supposed to kill himself at. And um, this era we live in now, where taste is honestly meaningless, I'd say, in this, at least to me. Um, the, there is a quote from uh, John Cusack in High Fidelity. Where he's talking about like being a hipster in the late '90s in Chicago and going to Lounge Axe and having an independent record store, and he's like, "It's what you like, not what you are like, that's important." Or it's like, "It doesn't matter what you're like; it's about matter- it's about what your taste is." And maybe that late '90s sentiment, where you actually had to dig for things and find things out, and the process of doing so was had value. Nowadays, um, you know, you could get access to absolutely anything you want, and it doesn't matter what you like or what you. Do don't like anymore because you can like or not like anything. Anything's at your fingertips. So this time and place where this guy like G.G. Allen was able to just be horrifically destructive and aggressive and leave such a legacy, It's just um, it's just so bewildering to think about now where people expect places to accommodate them and they expect... To find safe and wor- safe like work environments and show environments wherever they go, I I come from a generation where the thrill of getting your ass kicked was a part of the allure, I guess. And uh G. G. Allen just sort of reminds me of that.
0: For sure, absolutely. So, from from him, you draw the live experience. I mean, okay, minus, <laughs> but minus the defecating. Yes. Um, and the suicide on stage, but. Do you think it's a lot of, like, that energy that you harness, the the frustration and the—what what is it about him that you, you find in your music or in your performance?
1: For me, it's not me trying to
0: emulate him as
1: much as me just uh, being inspired by any musician that had a rough upbringing that came from a place where they had a lot of disadvantages and they were able to— I mean, in Gigi's case, he didn't rise above them. He succumbed to them and, like— the tragedies of his own life and stuff but uh the rockers out there that were the underdogs that against all odds were able to leave a massive crater uh in the scene before they left um i can't help but feel influenced by because they had to struggle in order to do so and that's what i take away from it
0: totally yeah and and musically do you do you find yourself listening to him a lot oh, yeah absolutely he's like one of your faves yeah
1: He's is incredible at a party. If you put on, if you want to put on a track, to really get like a weird vibe going in a party, <laughs> put on "Don't Talk to Me," and all the freaks will just like, you'll see their eyes of sort the of glaze over. And that's
3: Gigi Allen and the Murder Junkies, yes. right? No, "Don't Talk to Me" is the Jabbers. It's the Jabbers. Okay, yeah. cool. because yeah. he went on to be in a band with uh, Wayne Kramer from the MC5. Mm-hmm. It's one of my favorite bands. He was. Oh, cool. Yep. And wait, where it says. Brother Wayne Kramer. And he does the solo. It's like. That was the murder junkies. Yeah.
1: He was also Gigi in the AIDS brigade, Gigi in the holy men.
0: So he, he was on a parade of bands. He was yes.
3: like the the Andy Kaufman of 80s and 90s punk without realizing it. Yeah. You know. Huh. And I saw him on Geraldo. That was the first yes, time I a ever. a famous
1: piece on Geraldo. Really?
3: Yeah, where Geraldo uh interviews him on daytime television so that's worth youtubing as an auxiliary
1: asks him like why do you pee and poop on the crowd so much at your shows and Gigi, (laughs) chewing like a piece of gum wearing like aviators and like some like fascist nazi world war ii helmet or something says my body is uh my body and blood are like the sacrament of the rock and roll Temple, yada, yada, like pretty uh, yeah. much comparing himself to Christ and offering communion to the people in the form of his human waste. It was an incredible quote. Wow. I wish I could do it justice. <laughs>
0: that's it. amazing. I'll have to look that up. That's that's awesome. Cool. I love it. That's um. I love it. <laughs> love it. <laughs> I think
3: I think it segues pretty well into your number two. Yeah. Influence. Okay.
0: Let's hear it.
1: Uh, that would be Sir J. Retard, who is also not with us anymore. Um. I'm not extremely well versed on his discography because it's one of the few things you do have to sort of dig deep into nowadays that's left where it's like you got to find some of those vinyl records in order to hear his whole library Mm
2: -hmm.
1: and get get the whole scoop on where he came from. So I'm not like fully fledged or educated, but I did know the man while I grew up. He was good friends with my sister they played in this turn of the century, sort of strokes, white striped ish uh, garage rock revolver uh, revival that occurred around the year 2000, 2001. Mm-hmm. And my sister and her bands, um, the Hot Machines, Miss Alex White, the Chris Playboy, and Miss Alex White and the Red Orchestra were on the more underground side of that garage rock revival that occurred. And they were able to, uh, in my opinion, trace the roots back to uh, where it all came from the MC5 and the Stooges and the guys that created it in the 60s and Jay Retard was in that scene where it was a bit more grounded a bit closer to the uh, the true essence of what I feel represents that music which is just um, really dark tortured destructive punk rock and Jay Retard um, had a lot of demons and he came from a pretty uh impoverished upbringing and he was in in memphis uh tennessee and he was a savant at just capturing this um this sound he was like playing on uh plastic buckets and recording just like onto a i don't know what he was recording with those first uh, probably a four track like a four track and he was just a one-man band creating this really demented but somehow catchy and enthralling sound And he succumbed to his demons and passed away probably 2010, late 2009. Um, But my sister knew him. She played shows with him. Their bands would play together. And they were sort of in the trenches at the turn of the century um, before really GPS technology or the ability to entrepreneur and self-release and really go independent became a bit easier, like the way it is now for white mystery. We were fortunate enough to have these things in place that allow us to do what we do. But back then it was still very much controlled by the uh, gatekeepers of the music industry. And, um, sometimes, you know, you couldn't help but becoming a pawn to those people just by being involved in it and wanting to play music. And Jay, uh, we, uh, I remember the first time I ever saw him, was at my sister's college graduation where she graduated from DePaul and he was on tour and happened to be passing through Chicago the same day as her party. So before the show, they were probably playing at the Empty Bottle or the Hideout or mm-hmm. wherever that show was. They came by to my sister's party at our house, our, like where we were born and raised in. My parents were throwing this party. And him and his whole band, Stephen Pope, and what was their drummer's Billy name? Hayes. Billy, Billy Hayes. Billy Hayes. Uh, They showed up just wearing the wackiest outfits where I guess it must have been 2005 or something like that. And I was into punk rock and, like, wearing denim and, like, used to seeing some stuff. But these guys were so far removed from even the 2005 conventions of punk rock. They were just on their own tip. Mm -hmm. They're just wearing, like, Like insanely tight women's clothing. And their hair was just, like, absolutely, like, froed out and huge and insane. And they were just, like... Hungry from being on the road and malnourished and just wily and insane looking. It's like, who are these people? (laughs) What's their deal? Like, what are they all about? And then, you know, coming to know who he was and what his career was as I grew up and got deeper into music scenes and stuff like that. And then having the privileged opportunity of opening for him one of White Mystery's earliest shows. It was Empty Bottle 2009 on New New Year's Year's Eve. Eve. And it was one of the last shows he ever played in Chicago. He passed he passed away not too long afterwards. And um, I remember him. He was just such a road dog. He would tour so hard, and he was militaristic in the way he would approach touring on the road.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And um, he was a hard-driving sort of general in the music industry at the time, and he would always just be so tired when we'd see him when he was on the road. It's like, why would— why are these guys always so tired? Alex and I would think to ourselves, little did we know before we started touring just how exhausted it is Mm -hmm. to move across the surface of the earth and the friction and gravity that occurs just being in a car or on a plane and then being in a town every single night and the crutches and self-medications that you come up with just to help you get to the next show and whatnot. And we're always wondering why Jay was always, you know, like passed out on the couch after his sound check and before his show. And now it makes sense, but he was always just so patient and sweet and kind to me, where there's stories that come out of him just like, if you said the wrong thing around him, he'd pop you in the fucking jaw, excuse my French, without thinking twice about it. Um, A lot of those stories have come out of him being like a really aggressive, confident, no nonsense, no BS sort of guy, but me, I was just this like 20-year-old nerd that had not really made my bones yet, in the music industry about my sister had and just because I was her brother this like legendary icon just had endless amounts of patience and kind words for me and he was just such a sweet and affectionate man that I always uh, really really looked up to him and appreciated being able to know him in that light and being able to get such a sweet and considerate side of him Um, and his music is of course incredible his live show is so incredible he commanded an audience he could sort of take the GGL in vain of just creating a very unsafe feeling environment for a show but still allowing the crowd to feed off the adrenaline where if you're going down a roller coaster you could choose to be excited or you could choose to scream for your life and it's down to each human to choose the way they want to interpret this emotion. Jay made it easy for people to choose the excited version of that emotion as opposed to being anxious or scared even though Violence was happening, and ex- like fireworks were exploding on the stage. And the, people disco, were, ball the disco
3: ball came down. The disco ball comes crashing
1: down at the empty bottle because oh he jumped off the stage and ripped it down. But like people are still smiling. Yeah, <laughs> you know, <laughs> the, yeah, there's thrilling. photos of yeah. these shows that people are just so thrilled to be in this environment that just they have the biggest shit eating grins, like plastered on their faces, in these famous photos of Jay Retard shows. That uh, commanding that sort of emotion in that sort of environment is. Uh, it's, it's inspiring, and I'm not trying to come anywhere close to doing exactly what Gigi or Jay did because they were naturals at doing those things, and I'm not really. I can get into the crowd and take my shirt off and speak some poetry, but I'm, I don't really have the balls to, like, really get into it like those guys did. Yeah. But the fact that they were really tortured deep down inside, they came from destitute upbringings, And they found a way to express themselves in a way that was accessible to people of many different in types or like um, cultures and whatnot. And the accessibility and the universability of just who they were is very inspiring to me because Mm -hmm. the humanity in their work is what really comes across to people.
3: He set the path for a lot of people who came after him, like Ty Seagal and even Mac DeMarco. Him. Um, yeah he passed away too young he had just signed to matador records fell into some money and was really like poised mm-hmm. um and he passed away too quickly and i think he
1: left a power vacuum for any blondish rocker that has a name where it's just your name
2: you know, yeah. it was like,
1: for a while it was Jay Retard and he was the next big thing. He passed away. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. And it
1: just, all these other acts got to come up.
3: Into and that and void.
1: way tamer. Yeah. Way just like slicker, more produced, not nearly saying anything, not nearly as tortured as he was right. or organic as he was. And mm-hmm. they just sort of took his position, watered it down and ran with it, which was unfortunate because the direction he was headed was something... Uh, fierce it, it was groundbreaking. Quite fierce, yeah. There's
3: a Vice documentary about him, so if you watch that and they hold up a poster of our uh, show and Grown again at the Vera Club together, so it's Miss Alex Wayne, Aww. Jay Retard and stuff. And also Francis and I very, very rarely out of almost the ten years that we've been a band ever do covers. But we did a Jay Retard cover that's on our band camp, so you could play it over this or whatever, but Instead of trying to, like, make a different interpretation of his song, we actually tried to, like, play it note for note. Yeah. Let's you know. I couldn't come yeah. close.
1: The drum beats on that song are so fast. It's like a... <laughs> yeah, like, like a hummingbird. It's like a 16th bird. note that's so fast. Like, wow. oh, man, I have to do an 8th note. I can only do it in, like, half time cause <laughs> yeah. you know, I'm not good enough to reproduce it.
0: Yeah, so cool. Well, let's hear a little bit of that. I'll, I'll play some of that. Yeah, so why don't you introduce it?
3: Uh, it's White Mystery playing Jay Retard's My Shadow.
0: Awesome. Here yeah. it is. Awesome. Alex, your turn. My turn. We learned a lot about the, to- the tortured souls that have, you know, embraced punk music mm-hmm. throughout the years um, with Francis. And, I, and that's really cool. I, I'm really curious to see how similar or different your influences are.
3: Well, adding to the, the third influence of this white mystery program with you is uh, the band The Who. Oh yes. Which is the band that actually influenced me to, and inspired me to pick up a guitar for the first time. Where, uh, when I was really young, maybe five, six years old, I had tape cassettes of classic oldies. So I started loving rock at a young age. You know, like the Everly Brothers, and a lot of the one-hit wonders that I actually DJ now. Where it's like, I'm a traveling man. Made a lot of stops, you know, like all these like oh, yeah. classic oldies. So I, I loved all that stuff already, and I'd play the tape cassettes. But when I was in fourth grade, and I heard "Baba O'Reilly" by The Who, that was the jaw dropping moment. And um, even though it's actually a synthesizer playing that opening, where it's like "Teenage Wasteland," it was it's it's still like, boom, 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 and that's the guitar. That's yeah. Pete Townsend playing guitar. And, um, you know, in those pre-internet days, you're working off of pictures that you see on album covers on the front and on the back or in a CD, the little pull-out booklet. And uh, I just, I fell in love with The Who and also their aesthetic of being mods, you know, the, the British mod movement. Um, so White Mystery is a band, you know, we're a hard-driving rock and roll band, but we also have this, like, visual aesthetic. So, like if you lay out all of the white mystery albums to this day, it creates a larger picture, you know? And all of that stuff are things that like, in our collective brain, but it's me sitting down and designing it. And yeah. also like, laying out our computer, working with other artists, like kind of doing art direction. And I feel like the Who did it very, very well, with you know, the target, like the British target, the mod target. And um, when I was younger, I was really, really into the british you know kind of like brit invasion brit oh, totally. pop sort of thing and it's still meaningful to me you know where there's things that i liked when i was younger like beanie babies or something where yeah. it's just kind of like oh whatever <laughs> but you know the who has traveled with me um since that young age i think since i was 11 and i'm 32 now and i still hold it very dear in my heart where you know people say alex what's your favorite band oh, i know it's got to be hard i'm like no it's the who You know, that's an easy one. I mean, I love The Stones. The Stones are great. The Beatles were also a very early influence for me. You know what I mean? But The Who is one that I feel like they were actually, like, breaking ground with their their visuals. And they also made thematic albums, which White Mystery does, too. Um, Like Double Dragon, right, Fran? Mm -hmm. And uh, they did a quick one with Boris the Spider and all these kind of, like, goofy, playful songs that I feel like White Mystery has that kind of freedom to create concept albums the way the who did tommy um you know like a rock opera and that kind of thing so
0: it's definitely my biggest influence totally that's that's awesome um do you think your songwriting process is you know similar to or do do draw a lot from like their actual music Hmm. when you're writing songs or or do you think you your sound is pretty different, but it's just like the the feel behind it. It's the feel. Like, White Mystery is a two-piece and they were a four-piece, but
3: Frances has the same birthday as Keith Moon, the drummer no from The Who, August 23rd. Very
0: cool. My
1: sister also really likes to throw TVs from hotel room windows oh. <laughs> and Gotta drive uh, Rolls Royces into pools. Oh, yeah. Not, mm-hmm. that from <laughs> the
3: if you go to the White Mystery YouTube, you can watch our compilation of all the stuff I threw off of our second floor porch. Oh, my gosh. Like ironing boards and uh, a set of encyclopedias.
0: Yeah. Yeah. They've got so many of those t- big clunky tv is at goodwill you could totally get one done yeah but usually we throw stuff off which is just something i don't feel like carrying down the stairs oh fair enough <laughs>
3: and does it does it usually it bounces okay once that red
1: target tv dies you know it's gonna oh my god <laughs> i hope it
0: never does though
1: but i want to see it smash into the concrete <laughs>
0: that would be
2: sad. it'll be worth
0: it for the five second i just
3: pounded a old palm pilot with a hammer the other day on the Ooh, backyard cathartic yeah, but and also Pete Townsend played a Rickenbacker, which I play a Rickenbacker oh, too. Oh, cool! And honestly, though, the thing is, is that I picked that guitar because I thought it looked really cool, and then made the connection later that Pete was playing it because he also played telees and strats and stuff mm-hmm. too. But um, we both have that red, like a guitar that actually looks like an axe. You know? Yeah. So oh, that's kind of cool. That's
0: awesome. Have you ever seen any members of the Who? Yeah. I've seen The Who uh, a bunch of times. I a good
1: story about Roger J- Or was it Pete? Pete Townsend. Let's
0: it Pete. hear
3: it. Yeah.
1: Okay. Well, uh, I'll tell it. <laughs> we get back from a tour, and it was a really long one. We were gone for a long time away from home, working real hard. We come back. We're really tired. And one of the first things Alex wanted to do upon getting home from this long tour was to go see Pete Townsend at the uh,
3: Barnes & Noble, Noble, Noble at Old Orchard. At Old Orchard. Signed he was doing his a <laughs> like,
1: signing of his book. Aragon she was like, rooms. Francis... We're going out to Old Orchard. You're right going to drive me. I'm going to get this book signed, and I'm also going to bring all these Who records, and he's going to sign them for no, me, No, I too. just
3: brought Who's Next, which has Bob O'Reilly on it. Okay, I, wanted okay. him. I wanted him to sign it. So it's not like I had a stack. I had she wanted record. to
1: see him. So we go to, uh, I drive her out there. I'm exhausted and just sort of delirious. Cranky. From cranky, hungry, hangry, everything, sober. Sure. Um And I was happy to be home. I was like, all right, let's drive out to the suburbs. Of course, you want to see Pete Townsend. I'm not I'm not going to say right, no. Right, he was supportive but, of it. Yeah. Um, but I also wasn't going to wait in the line where it's like a line that wrapped around the whole store, of people holding Pete Townsend books to get them signed. I was like, I'm going to go to the uh,
3: children's section, the
1: children's young adult yes. section that has like a little stage where they do like live readings for the kids. And uh-huh. I'm going to pass out behind that stage while you wait in line <laughs> to get your book signed. And Alex mm-hmm. is waiting in line with all these squares from the suburbs. She's holding a Who's Next record and each one is like, Oh, you know you're not allowed to bring that here, he's not gonna sign that. Oh, you know, you're not allowed to have any like records, he's not gonna sign that. And then like oh, volunteers please. from the bookstore are saying, Oh, you're not allowed to have that i And yada, like, yada, Well, what
3: yada. do you want me to do? Like just like throw it away yeah. or something? Like I'm I have to hold it until <laughs> I, I get to him. And I finally got to his desk and he honestly looked terrible and it was sort of crushing for me. Mm. Um, I guess he's been through a lot and seen a lot of stuff and had a lot of controversy about his life as well. And I he slipped said he in.
1: looked super bloated.
3: He looked bloated and like his um, his skin was really red and kind of alcoholic-looking nose and that mm. kind of thing. But I slipped him my phone number anyway. <laughs> I was oh like, if you God. want a good time <laughs> <laughs> in Chicago while you're here, gotta do it for sure. Yeah, <laughs> the book is, you? the book is hard to read. Is it? Um, But I saw The Who a couple days after uh, John Entwistle, their bassist, died when I was 15. So I ended up seeing The Who live with Francis.
4: Um, But
1: immediately after that Barnes & Noble encounter, I saw Roger Daltrey on the Pawn Stars episode where they, like, sign the dad up for rock and roll fantasy camp, and he he gets to sing, like, Won't Get Fooled Again with Roger Daltrey, and it's like the bald guy from Pawn Stars with his hands in his pocket wearing some like Ed Hardy shirt and Roger Daltrey together like singing It's oh, like oh good. this is embarrassing.
3: Yeah. So uh. you know but the thing is is like and Zach Starkey who is um, Ringo Starr's son now plays drums yes. for The Who. And they're incredible
1: oh. that's the one thing they played uh, they played the Super Bowl a couple years ago they mm-hmm. did the halftime at the Super Bowl and I, Alex and I were just so stoked so excited to it see was The awesome. Who on TV and they did like a medley of a bunch of their songs Mm -hmm. we thought they were freaking incredible and they played so well and they were actually playing live it wasn't lip-synced right uh like the chili peppers and all the acts that have since come after them that have been lip-syncing the halftime show they played Mm -hmm. it live and they got a lot of flack from just the media saying that they that it wasn't that that good it wasn't that good it wasn't a good performance we thought they nailed it yeah it was cool so they still got the chops musically it's hard to get but you said wait didn't you see them and he said Pete was like teasing Roger the whole yeah, time. So, and he uh, kept dropping the mic. I know. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like it Roger Dolce kept like dropping the microphone over and over. <laughs>
3: it was I saw them about two years ago at the All State Arena and this time I actually had a backstage pass for the Who because, you know, White Mystery's awesome. Right? Yeah. So <laughs> and it was cool. Oh, and I went oh with my, my, my I went with my Who shirt and, you know, the whole like the whole system oh, yeah. going. Um and uh it was I thought they were great, but there was obviously some sort of tension between Pete Townsend and Roger Daltrey and Roger Daltrey, who was once known, you know, for wearing, like, a big fringe jacket yeah. or being on rock and roll circus Twirling and stuff. the mic around. You know, he was kind of, like, he, you know, wearing reader glasses and kind of looking at his iPad for the lyrics oh and kind of, God. like, futzing around the stage and, like, dropping the microphone. I'm going to pick it up and, and making, like, a deafening sound. It was oh. like... God. You know, like, the whole arena. where it's just like, ooh. Yeah. But You know what the thing is? It's like, let them do their they're thing, man. Yeah. Let them do their they're thing. Legends, so it's I'm like, there to witness it. Yeah. You know what I mean? You've it's seen like, who? yeah, yeah. As many from, times like, as possible.
1: Where being the fringe, like, golden god that he was to now, it's like,
3: you know, hey. it's like, but I already kind of feel like I have like arthritic things going on in my hands. It's I, hard I to can identify. Move. I'm disabled
1: now. So it's
3: like, you know, I'm just appreciative and grateful that they did what they did and that they choose to keep touring and share that legacy with a younger generation like me well Be- because they made that album a good 25 years before i was even like a, a glimmer in my parents eyes so and you know now i'm 32 so i just i i love the
0: who and they're my my number one influence totally that's awesome yes um yeah i feel <laughs> the same way about uh bob dylan i saw when i saw him it was like shatters on my illusions <laughs> but again it's like legend and right you know to be in the same room with, and that must have been so cool to be backstage. Plus, we have the
3: YouTube's these days, so we can check out all the old cool oh, yeah. Dylan videos, exactly Neil Young a videos, uh, see
1: your you can look up the glory
3: and also things that have never yeah. really been released that are on YouTube now. So, like, we're we're in a very fortunate place to be able to like dig into
0: archives and mm. see their For their sure. glory. Do you guys want to be playing together when you're that age? Yes, absolutely. Awesome. Those look good on you. Thank you. Just try to my sunglasses. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, you do like for sure. Oh yeah,
3: and I even said that like if I can't use my hands that well, I'll learn how to play lap steel so that I can just um, still you know or play auto harp or something yeah. like that and just adapt.
0: Auto heart becoming a I'm
1: adapting now. I'm, enter- I'm entering the Charlie Watts phase of my career where I stay perfectly upright behind <laughs> yeah. the drum set and don't move my neck or head at all and just try and maintain good posture because otherwise I'm not gonna be able to play for much longer if I mm-hmm. keep headbanging yeah. the rate that I have been. So yeah, we're I'm about to turn thirty in a month. Alex is doesn't matter. 100. Doesn't matter how old she is. <laughs> Uh, but we are up in the years, and ten years did go by pretty quickly. And yeah. we're at a point where we're willing to do anything it takes to maintain what we have because we love doing it so much, and we want to do it for the rest of our lives. And you, you do, in do one it form with robot another. arms, yes. right? Exactly. I would like an extra set of arms so I could drum with four arms. That'd be, That'd awesome.
0: be awesome. Do you think that'll be a thing at some oh point? Oh yeah, definitely. Probably in five years. Wow. That, and you'll be the first one to use it. Because what?
3: What year is it? Twenty seventeen.
0: Yeah. So it'll. We'll be in the twenty twenties. Yeah.
3: We'll be in the, like... We'll the, be in the 20s. The flapper age... <laughs> right. ...of, you of know... the 21st century. Yeah. yeah. We're all going
0: to get, so like, a uh, haircuts and the stuff. So
1: what's the fourth influence, Alex, of yeah. White Mystery?
3: my fourth influence and... It's your
1: second White Mystery's fourth.
3: Correct. The next one <laughs> is... Andy Warhol. Ooh, I uh, love that. Andy Warhol was definitely, to me, as a musician and visual artist... Uh, highly influential for a lot of different reasons pop art is incredible to me and people have different opinions about it you know it's not Monet it's not Cezanne and all these like fine artists in the renaissance Botticelli all these like you know you could see the light cast upon someone's cheek and then it kind of changes as it hits their the ridge of their ear and sophisticated kind of art it's more like flat silkscreen art but Seeing it as a younger person, probably around the same time that I started liking The Who as a teen, I was just very drawn to it. It was so bold. It was so colorful. And, you know, like Elizabeth Taylor, Andy Warhol's Elizabeth Taylor portrait. And uh, the Campbell Soup, you know, taking these ordinary items (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <I> <laughs> and, don't like ter- oh, okay. and turning into <laughs> art so, <laughs> so he's sorry. looking at facebook as i talk about I'm it i listen to facebook your gg memories. allen saying you don't like gg allen i love it but i wouldn't call him like my top influence because
1: you're not a punk
3: i'm a mod
0: yeah she's <laughs> yeah. clearly a mod wait <laughs> as we talk I, just really quick it's just pretty cool how punk and how mod you know <laughs> And they, they do combine to make your sound, I, right. I would say, yeah, with, if you would agree with.
3: But, you know, if you look at uh, white mystery art, something that we do is we factory our merch, the way that we stamp our merch. We very rarely silkscreen our stuff and farm it out. We've only done it the times that people have offered to silkscreen shirts for free. We make our own T-shirts, and I take Andy Warhol as the influence of the way that we do that, where it's stamped stamp and it's not always us stamping it's our army of interns i like to
1: film men sleeping for eight hours that's the way i am
3: (laughs) yeah some francis finds some of like the the film and that kind of thing mundane and i did drag him to the andy warhol museum in pittsburgh when Uh we were on tour so i was like we're going wake up wake up we're going to the andy warhol the whole time (laughs) (laughs) but basically the andy warhol museum it's seven floors you start at the top and you go down and you progress through his different eras of his artistic career. So you see all of his early illustrations for Neiman Marcus and uh, shoe shoe companies where it was more whimsical looking mm-hmm. illustration. And then it goes through his pop art, you know, the flowers and, and that kind of thing. Um, he did car crashes. He... Uh, Silkscreen giant versions of newspaper headlines when people got botulism from tuna, uh, canned tuna and stuff. It's really hard for me to concentrate with you just like using your phone. I'm sorry. It's because <laughs> I'm like, what's he looking at? Is it like a funny dog video? <laughs> but um, and then it goes down to his film. And that's what Francis was talking about, because Andy Warhol has a video of him eating a hamburger for 25 minutes and that kind of thing. But, you know, he designed Sticky Fingers, which was the uh, zippered Rolling Stones cover art. Yeah. And he also designed the super incredibly iconic record cover for the Velvet Underground that... Is very simple because uh, it's just the banana on a white background, but you could peel that banana off the original versions of it and it exposed, like, the pink inside of a banana. And um, I just thought it was really innovative, and I've collected books about him, and uh, I collect all of the little banana things that I see, the Andy Warhol banana things, and it really influences the way that um, white mystery creates art, the visual art. That totally. accompanies the band. So, for instance, when I was just about to turn 26 years old, we had the first ever White Mystery art show. Remember that, Fran?
1: It was sponsored by Snoop Dogg's Blast. Uh, we Drink got blackout drunk purple drink yes really it was, like an, was it really yeah it was like oh an energy God. alcoholic malt liquor energy drink
3: uh-huh before they outlawed those a
0: yeah. for loco what is it for loco. loco what was the original one uh, For it? sparks sparks yeah that yeah. No, was a good time
3: so it was great and we displayed all of the um white mystery shirts we had made thus far and all of these floor-to-ceiling banners that basically i artistically directed and had other people print
0: cool you know
3: so it's uh, it definitely kind of Andy Warhol is a big influence to me. And um, he also got shot, which was terrible, and um, by one of his groupies. And then he died and he wore lots of wigs. So we have differences, but uh, I look up to him as, as being a very bold visual artist from an era where the mods were, you know, things like that were happening. And I love the Velvet Underground.
0: So Andy Warhol is, is number four love that um I'm saying love that every time now. love it love it love, <laughs> like, love okay. me love it <laughs> if wait it for Instagram i don't I'd like it um I'm gonna swipe through your influences and <laughs> tap twice on the ones I like <laughs> um wait but on Andy Warhol mm-hmm. very colorful rich you know lots of bright vibrance yeah. and and do you is that something that's important to you sonically it, I don't know if that makes any sense. Like, your your sound, mm-hmm. um, it, would you consider it, like, bright, colorful? Yeah, pop. Pop. Yeah, pop.
3: Like, the White Mystery Out of Control album that was very influenced by, like, cartoon imagery, I feel like, was very Warhol. Yeah. Yeah, but I think musically, it's like, I'm definitely thinking about color and shape and impact when we're writing songs. Cool. Yeah, yeah. awesome.
0: All right, number five. Go ahead, Fran.
1: What did, did we decide it was?
3: It starts with a C and ends with Hicago.
1: <laughs> the city of Chicago was established in what year?
3: The city of Chicago is our number five influence. Awesome. It's also our number one, maybe. And while it might sound, you know, maybe cliche, the thing is is that we're actually from within the city, parameters. Yeah. And a lot of people say they're from Chicago, but they're from elsewhere. And we really take it very seriously that we're from this urban place. And you know, with Francis talking about like the the kind of on the edge feeling that Gigi Allen gave you and Jay Retard with their music, I feel like this city gives me that vibe at any given time. Where there's the beauty and the energy, but also the danger and the grittiness. And, you know, now that I'm the age I am and being able to like drive in lower whacker and know every curve and every bump is just kind of fun and fast. And I feel like when we are on, you know, French television, we're like, Hey, how you don't? We're white mystery from Chicago. You know, it's <laughs> such a important part of like you know, people are like, your accent's so strong. I'm like, accent? What are you talking about? I'm like, eh, I guess we kind of do have an accent. So it's like sh- Chicago is white mystery. White mystery is so Chicago. When we go other places, we have fun, and it's great, but we're so Chicagoy. Yeah, you know, and... Um,
1: we're polite, and we're hardworking, and we feel like the uh, the morals and values that we have as people we've gotten from growing up with our family in the city inside the city in chicago public schools and whatnot mm-hmm. and uh, it is kind of weird going to other places that don't value the same things you do um being earnest and passionate and unashamed of what you love to do and whatnot In a lot of other places people hide that they aren't trying to look like they work too hard or that they care too much about something mm-hmm. they kind of want to i don't know look a bit more avant-garde. I don't even know what the word is that I'm looking for. Blase, I guess. Uh, But in Chicago, there's not much shame. You are who you are. You do what you do, and you try to do it to the best of your ability for the people around you and the community you're attached to, and that's very much uh, Mm -hmm. the way White Mystery does business.
3: It's very cooperative here. And Maya, who I just introduced you to, she moved here from Austin because she wanted to see exactly what was going on here. You know, with the Orwells and the Twin Peaks and even like Joey Perp and Vic Mensa and all of like what this city spawns, because they're all city kids also. You know, Uh, Tokyo, who I was playing you earlier, who I'm just in love with his music. It's it's a cool scene here. And I think, Francis, you really hit the nail on the head about like being sort of forthcoming with with your identity is you can do that here. You know, where in I think in L.A. you want to, like, defer to your agent or something like that. Where here it's like you get respect for being independent, you know.
1: It makes you a leader if you have a clear-cut vision on what you want in life and how to execute and how to grasp it. Um, You can inspire other people to do the same inside of their lives if you're too afraid to take a step out of line and to plant a flag down and decide this is what I want to do with my life I don't know it's harder to get places and really um have bold visions and bold statements if you're afraid and the lack of fear of being who you are in Chicago is what allowed us to flourish as a band and a creative entity
3: but there's still like you know the danger too which is um it's
1: danger of what of living here in these well i mean you know or? i
3: was at a bar the other day and there was like a car that was like rolling by really slowly and i was like man i hope there's a drive-by
0: sorry let's start that <laughs> one over
1: it wasn't me was.
0: okay so you were at a bar i was at a bar yeah
1: you're worried about getting killed or robbed Yeah, you're trying to go out and enjoy the nightlife in the city and then you take that with you and everywhere else you go, you're a little bit on guard and there's a little Mm -hmm. bit of PTSD because you witnessed pretty violent, horrifying things happen within close proximity.
2: When we
3: were really young, like going to the park and um, like a, a gang dude coming up to us and saying something that was so terrible, it like traumatized me for years and like I was only able to tell our parents you know as an adult like what had happened because it was so traumatizing and
1: i would get the crap kicked out of me going to grade school at see the crap get kicked out of other kids on my walk home from school and be like oh god glad that wasn't me
2: mm-hmm.
1: um there was always a threat of some older sibling that was tied into some gang somewhere that could probably kill you if you pissed off the wrong kid in school and
2: mm-hmm.
1: but fortunately
3: and then, you had a crazy older red-headed sibling that was <laughs>
1: crazy i was wearing a trench coat immediately after columbine having like see I'm weird. Yeah. I be might careful pop, of I day might away. Pop the hell off. I might not you know, be tied into the gangs and mafia of the city, but I don't know. I'm yeah. not pro Columbine by any means, but at the time I was cuz I was ready to kill myself in Chicago public schools. Uh, it was
3: it was rough growing up, but I think also it like we can kind of go anywhere now. Mm-hmm. You know, where we have toyed about the idea of like doing the Silk Road. You know, and driving across like the most dangerous parts of the world to see through, like you know, like all yeah, like basically the the Marco Polo, like going from like
1: Russia through the Middle East and like trying to get back to Europe through the Silk Road. Like, what would it be like to tour? And we're like, yeah, we could probably handle it.
3: You know what I mean? And we've we've been so many different places, and we've even systematically thought through all the things we would have to do if we went, because it's a little bit of a like we're. Our philosophy as a band is to go where no band has gone before, and that would be something that would be very interesting, mm-hmm. uncharted territory. But that's, like, Chicago gives you the platform to dream and to also, like, think in a, in a worldly way.
1: And feel prepared to tackle those objectives. You could go to... East Detroit and Oakland and Memphis and maybe other parts of the country that most people wouldn't want to go to because, you know... we're And make to, friends. And make friends yeah. and feel comfortable or it's like, oh, this place is not as bad as Chicago. <laughs> yeah. I feel safe.
3: <laughs> totally. Um, this
1: place is 20% worse than Chicago. I know exactly what to expect. Now.
3: Right. But yeah, it comes out in, in our songs. Like, we have the song Take a Walk where it's like, I grew up on the north side and didn't have anywhere to go. So I went strolling down by the lakefront where the waves were covered with snow. You know, so it's like, it's all like a lot of Chicago comes out in our songs and in our
0: content that we create. I love that. And you've been to like every major city in the US and small one, and small one, and medium one. Yeah, you've been everywhere. It's kind of crazy. 22 countries. I was yeah. thinking
1: the other day we need to have our interns compile every city that we've been to. That would be
3: so easy, too, because we, we keep everything in a database yeah. on our website. So you can go to whitemystery.com, go to the show section, press Command-F, and look up any city and see if we've played it. Oh, my God. yeah, That's
0: awesome. if you feel like, I wonder if they ever played Florence Alabama. <laughs> oh, my God, eight times. Okay. <laughs> um, but but Chicago, unequivocally, best yeah. one.
3: People like... You guys would do so well if you moved to LA. Why don't you just move there? It's like, uh because I don't want to. Yeah, we'll visit there and have a great time, but we belong here in Chicago. And and the weather does does the weather influence? I love the weather yeah. here. Yeah, I love being super cold, and I love the spring, and I love like when we get the breeze off the lake. I say, ooh, God, turned on the air conditioner. You know, <laughs> like where it's just like you get the the lake effect breeze and. And also the snow, and I love snow, and I shovel the whole block, and it's really, you know, clear and crisp and
0: beautiful, and it scrubs the earth. Yeah. Kills the bugs. How about the Chicago music scene? Mm. What can you say to that? Is that a big influence to you? Yeah. I mean, like I was saying, that this chick moved here because she was like,
3: you guys all like reference each other, and you book each other on each other's tours. It's like... I just wanted to see what that was like. Like her being from Austin, where I think a lot of people, there are transplants now. Same thing with Nashville and, of course, New York and LA, um, where I think a lot of people kind of chop each other down to get ahead. Where here we realize that success is contagious. So if you are coming up, you bring everybody up with you. And Hannibal Burris, you know, he moved back to Chicago. He's a wildly, he's in the new Spider Man. He lives here again. And he came to our DJ night the other night. Where I tweeted to him and I was like, yo, Hannibal, come out. And he actually did. And that's such a Chicago thing. We're in LA, it could be like your cousin inviting you out and you'll flake out on them because it might be 45 minutes away with bad traffic. We're a little more connected here um, geographically, we don't have like a Golden Gate Bridge. Or a Manhattan, Brooklyn, like Williamsburg Bridge separating us. Like, Bottlenecks. and even with all the different neighborhoods and different communities and stuff, it's like you can kind of take Western Avenue and get anywhere.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yep. That's awesome. Thank, Thank you for putting that together for me. Thank you. We got the punk, we got the pop mod, yeah. Yeah. we got Chicago, which just kind of ties it all together. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to hear one song from whatever, whichever album you want to mm-hmm. kind of showcase. Um, so do you want to he- talk about one real quick or real slow? I love Bad Tune. Should Nip-Toon. we do Take a Walk? Yeah, Take a Walk's good.
1: Uh, no, Alex has been pushing for the same song over and over. She wants I to make love a single, it. Bad tune
0: Bad
2: Tune.
3: I <laughs> just can't stand it. I just, I love that song.
0: That must be so cool to yeah. like, write a song and then be like god i love this song yeah that's
3: why i write music yeah i mean i'm definitely like the album out of control like i put that one out. i'm like i can't believe i made this because if it wasn't me i'd be listening to this a lot yeah um where our first two albums they're like primitive to me they're kind of like the cave drawings of white mystery where it's just like wow they had tools you know like <laughs> that kind of thing we're like now i feel like our new album is so sophisticated. And, Sounds so well produced and stuff. I just, you know, I wanted to hear something off of that. So,
1: we're, we're at the colonial part in White Mysteries Evolution. <laughs> and where's we're it going go? to go? Discover how to make glass bottles. Oh, good. Berries.
0: <laughs> so, <laughs> we still have a lot. A lot of. We have bronze. bronze to cover. Yes. <laughs> we have bronze
3: now. We're in the Bronze Age.
0: We shower once a year. <laughs> we have our lice. Powdered wigs. We show right? our
1: hats to the women to show them we don't have lice. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well good that means we've got a lot of a lot of ground to cover still hey that's Here's true to yeah. yeah, 80 more albums thank yeah oh, so much thank you thanks yeah. for having us a lot thank of fun thank you today. Yeah. it was really awesome to have you guys Um, and again where can we find you whitemysteryband.com yep whitemystery.com
3: whitemysteryband on instagram on facebook if you still use that kind of thing whitemystery just look us up two redheads Uh, you know contact us and we'll email you
0: back that's true you mm-hmm. are good at email thank you thank you <laughs> <laughs> um it was really really a pleasure Thank um you. without further ado then we're gonna go with bad neptune sure all right here's bad neptune by white mystery uh thank you so much for listening this is lisa fm